praise you. We honor you. I was telling the first service that when I came this morning, I was just tired. I had a night from hell. My little two-year-old at two in the morning woke up and told me and mom that she decided she wanted to eat. She shook me, Dad. I'm going to go tell mommy. And not shortly thereafter, my other daughter woke up and she demanded to be in the bed. So all four of us in the bed now because my other daughter snuck into sitting next to bottles and, and food in the bed with these kids. We couldn't even get no sleep. We're falling off the sides of the bed. And next thing you know, the, the alarm clock goes off. It's time to go to church. I'm sitting there. I'm like, man, I want to stay home, honey. And as they sang this song the last service, I really did feel like the Lord was renewing some of my strength right there. Because Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 declares all, come to me all who are weary, Jesus speaking. He says, and I will give you rest. And, and he's talking about rest in your spirit, rest from you trying to accomplish things, rest from you trying to be the thing that saves yourself, rest from your struggles, rest from the condemnation of Satan, rest from every area of your life, your burdens. He cares about you. So as they're going to sing this just one last time, just this, this chorus, I'm letting go. I want you guys, if, if you got something burdening your spirit, something holding you back, I want you to really symbolically lift your hands and say, God, I'm letting it go today. Yeah. I'm letting go of my struggles, my pains, my hurts, whatever's hindering my walk with you, God. I'm just, maybe, maybe you're just physically tired and you need God to supernaturally strengthen you. This time, I'm, I'm letting go, Father. This song in the first verse says, just when my hallelujah was tired hallelujah is the highest praise the, the word itself means the highest praise and, and what it's saying is is when my best praise is getting tired when my best worship is getting getting weakened you came in come on just you gave me a new song right when i was about to quit right when the enemy almost had me quitting on god you gave me right when I couldn't take one more second. Right when I was at my breaking point, you gave me a new song. A, a, a new reason to worship you. A new heart to praise you. And it may not seem like it right now, but come on, maybe you're at the point of getting a new song today. Come on, if you believe it, lift your hands as the worship team just takes us one more time. Come on, I'm letting go. Come on, sing it out, church. I'm letting go. Come on, I wish you would sing it out to him. I'm letting go. Come on, I'm falling in. Falling into Come on, just the voices I'm letting go. That's right, lift it up. When I'm falling in. Father, we thank you for the time of worship. Thank you that you've met.
met us here. You're strengthening your people. Your word declares that we can cast our burdens upon you because you care for us. So, Father, in our worship, we give you the highest praise. It's not about how you make us feel. It's about how we make you feel in this moment, God. We love you so much. We can never, never, ever, ever do enough for what you've done for us. But even now, we give you praise and honor and glory. And the church says, come on, put your hands together for the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Come on, you may be seated in God's presence. You may be seated. You, you happy to be in the house of God this morning? I really wasn't going to come. I was, was going to call out today. I said, can pastors call out? I checked my handbook. Nope. Pastoral handbook said, no, you cannot call out, Lewis. You cannot call out. I had an interesting day on Thursday. I had a friend here, and he was doing some work. He was detailing one of my cars. And, uh, and I went to go to the ATM to get some money to pay this guy. And as I'm going to the ATM, I'm on my way back, and I recognize this gentleman there. And he's a, he's a, he's, I think he's Haitian, and his name is Vernon. And I don't know if it's Vernon or Vernit. He just pronounces it Vernit, so I just say Vernit. And I met Vernit a couple of months ago, maybe a month and a half ago, when Vernit tried giving me a Jehovah's Witness Watchtower magazine reading thing. And he was like, you should read this. And I'm like, no, give him my Bible. You should read this. And me and Vernit back then got into a heated discussion and I had told Vernon, don't be in my neighborhood spreading that, that false. I'm just kidding. But I, I told Vernon, like, I said, listen, Vernon, you know, I kindly told him that he was, you know, following the wrong way. We discussed our faith. He discussed his. We did it very respectfully. Uh, I kind of got him hung up on a couple of scriptures. He didn't really know his Bible too well, which worked out for me. But this Thursday, we were back at it again. We're sitting there going back and forth. He's, he's throwing me his scriptures I'm, I'm talking to him about what the Bible actually says, not what the Watchtower says. And, and we're just joking, kind of joking, going back and forth. But I was trying to explain to Vernon that he could, he could knock on 10,000 doors. He can do all the things that, that his faith tells him he has to do in order to be saved. But he would never reach salvation apart from believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I told him, Vernon, there's nothing you could do. And as I'm, as I'm telling him about Jesus and, and grace and, and how we've been set free from the works of, of the law and of our sin because God has given us grace and mercy, as I'm doing this, this guy who I would later come to know is Josh, Josh is coming by and he's like, oh, I like this. And I'm like, oh, right, come on, the more the merrier. Let's go. Because I thought he was Christian and he was going to back me up. And once I started talking about the grace of God and the mercy of God and how it's not about what I wear and how I dress and what I do. It's about just my faith in Jesus Christ as the primary reason of my salvation and nothing else. It's not about how I dress. It's not about what we do and don't do to our hair and our faces. It's about none of that. It's only about my faith in Jesus. And he looked at me and said, that's not true. I looked at him, I was like, you devil. In my head, I'm like, you devil. Just, what's wrong with you, devil boy? And he said, I said, you're not Christian, are you? He goes, no, I'm Muslim. I'm like, oh, God. That's the beginning of a great joke. There was a Christian, a Jehovah Witness, and a Muslim. Like, at a gas station. This is the perfect joke. 
Like this is setting up to be great. And, and he began to talk about how you have to work to achieve salvation. And poor Vernon now, <laughs> he's, all, he's an older gentleman, really nice guy, great guy. He's all jacked up. He don't, he don't know what he's saying, what I'm saying. He's just, he's just holding his magazine up like this for like 20 minutes. Just like, <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. And it was, it was awesome because I was able to just to share with them and to share my faith. But Josh was, was, was just insistent that you had to earn your salvation. And this is not new to the church. This type of thinking, this, this type of dogma, this, I, I told the first service, the difference between doctrine and dogma is doctrine is something that is based in the scripture. And dogma is something that is based in man's tradition and thought. It's what we think is right because we've been told that and taught that, but it's not in Scripture. And so Vernon and, 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 and Josh have a lot of dogma, very little doctrine. And I was trying to explain to them this message of grace, this, this gospel of Jesus Christ. This is good stuff. That, that you're set free and, and you, would, you would still want to do the work of God for God because you love him, but not because it will get you saved. But this is not new to the church because in the year 1517, there was a, a priest and his name was Martin Luther, not to be confused with Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther was a, a priest in the Catholic church back in the days in Germany. And, and Martin Luther, he was upset at the Catholic church because there was a guy whose name was Tetzel and Tetzel was running around Germany and Tetzel was selling these things called indulgences. And what indulgences is back then was that they were saying that if you bought this, it would temporarily remove the punishment and the guilt of your sin from your life. It would be like the Pope says you are now forgiven. And, and, and he's like, wait a minute. You can't buy your way out of purgatory. You can't buy your way out of any type of punishment. You can't buy your way out of temporary forgiveness. You can't do that. You can't buy temporary forgiveness. And the Pope has no authority to forgive sins. That's what he said. And he was so upset because they were doing this. And the reason they were doing it was because they were building St. Peter's Church. And they wanted to build new things and new uh, they wanted to make it just bigger and better, and they were trying to lie to the people and make them buy these things for salvation. And he posted on the wall of the church, the door of the church, front door, 95 problems he had with the Catholic church. 95 things that were wrong with it doctrinally. And he, because why? Because back about three years prior, Luther, who was a student of the word, he began to read the epistles of Paul and he began to understand that man was not saved by works, but saved by faith in the grace of Jesus Christ. That's it. And he got this revelation and, and he was able to, to begin to teach this newfound grace. And the reason why nobody understood this was because the Bible wasn't written in, in their language at the time. It was in Latin and most of them didn't understand Latin. That's the real reason they called it the Dark Ages. It was a lack of education. And so nobody knew the word of God. And so, and so Martin Luther makes it a point and they, they start the Lutheran church. And, 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 and it, was, it was the Reformation at the time. This is where we get the Protestant church, the Baptist. All that came from Martin Luther. The evangelicals, we all came from him. And so Martin Luther had that issue, but yet the issue dates back even further. And the Apostle Paul, in his writings to many of the churches, he deals with false teachers who try to combine the old way with the new way. They try to combine God's 
grace with God's law. They try to say, yeah, you're saved by grace, but you got to come to church in a skirt and you got to wear the classic Reeboks or you're not saved. You got to... You got to do X, Y, you got to knock on 50 doors a day and then you're going to be set. And they were trying to put these laws on you and these rules and regulations. But that's not scripture because we know that God is no longer, the, 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 the law never satisfied God except through Christ. And so it's a, Paul deals with these people and we call them in, in, in the study of scripture, we call them Judaizers. People who try to mix the law with God's grace. They try to say, oh, yeah, you're saved by grace. It's a free gift, but you got to earn it. That's a lie. Because once I have to earn it, it's no longer a gift. It's no longer something that God freely, graciously gave me. It's something that when I saw it, I wanted it and I earned it from him. And this is a fundamental issue. And I want to talk to you today about how you cannot earn God's grace. You can't earn salvation. We're on this series called Undeserving, And we need to understand that although we're undeserving, God still gave it to us in his mercy, in his love. You see, back in the old days, what we call the Mosaic law is the law that God gave to Moses once Israel had left Egypt. It was 600 plus, I think about 615 laws that they had to keep. And the law showed us that no matter what we did, we could not keep this law. I know I couldn't. Some of it was you couldn't even eat pork. That's, that's not God. You couldn't eat shrimp, according to the law. According to the law of of Moses, you could not wear shirts that had two fabrics woven in together. And there was a principle behind it. The principle was that you can't intermingle things. God doesn't want you to intermingle with the world. God doesn't want you to intermingle with people who don't share your faith. And and that's the thing that that there's a principle in it, but it was this crazy law and, and, and nobody could fulfill it. But scripture tells us in Romans that Jesus fulfilled it for us. And this is so hard for many to believe. Jesus fulfills it for us. And so what God then does is he takes the righteousness and the merit and the goodness of Jesus and it drops it into your bank account. And when God looks at your balance, he sees Jesus, not you. When God, when God looks at what your accounts are looking like, and the enemy is that you've been sinning, you've been this, you've been that, you're going straight to hell. You're right there, going to hell. Ha! Gasoline draws. But God says, no. I don't, I don't see that. I see that they're believing in my son. Their faith is in Christ. And they're saved. And so Paul, it's all right to praise him. I'm just saying, it's all right. Paul says, Paul, is, is, he's preaching and writing this letter to this church in Galatia. And Galatia is, is where we get the, the, the book of the Bible, Galatians. And, and they have a number of false teachers who are trying to mix this old Mosaic law, the sacrificial law, the ceremonial law. They're trying to get all the people to do the, the old way plus believe in Jesus and Paul's like, this should not be. And, and this is, the book of Galatians is, is probably Paul's harshest rebuke of a church. He rebukes them very harshly. And if you I, I read the book on your own time, it's an amazing book. I'm going to pick it up on chapter 3, verse 15. He's rebuking them and he's trying to explain to them that you cannot have the law and grace. either. You're going to choose one or the other. You're going to either choose Christ or you're going to choose to try and do it on your own. That's what he's basically saying. Either you're going to choose what God has done for you or you're going to keep on trying by your own accord. Amen? 
So Paul uses a real life example and he says this to them. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Come on, bow your heads to Heavenly Father. We thank you for this time of prayer, this time of, of just worship, of, of meeting with you and, and talking to you. But now, Father, we pray that you open our spiritual ears, that we be blessed by your word, blessed by your promises and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this scripture, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we see Paul, he's trying to keep the Galatian church to not turn to this legalistic view of faith. This, I have to achieve in order to receive. In other words, he's trying to show them that by grace alone we are, somebody say, saved. And, and Paul, in the earlier part of chapter 3, he tells them about the promise that God made to Abraham. Abraham was, was not saved, but God went to Abraham and made Abraham a promise. And Paul says that the promise that God gave Abraham was in, somebody say, grace. So Paul, God gives Abraham a promise through grace. And the Bible says that Abraham believes God in faith. And so Paul is trying to show them that it's not about fulfilling the works of the law, but it's about having a faith in the promise of God of salvation. And the false teachers in Galatia were teaching that you only had to receive grace, and then on top of that, you had to do things in order to, they were trying to get the Greeks to be circumcised. They were trying to get the Greeks to follow the Jewish diet. They were trying to get the Greeks to follow the Jewish way. And they were trying to get the Jews back to that same thing. And Paul's like, no, who has bewitched you from the gospel that I have taught you? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of grace that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The problem, the problem with this mentality, I'll explain it to you, is that if the law, meaning what we do, if the works of our flesh, if, if how we live for God and what we do for God can save us, then we don't need Jesus. And this is a problem. Because Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but through me. No man comes to the Father but through me. The, 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 the Judaizers were teaching that you can get to the Father also through your works. Meaning, if you clean the church three days a week, you're going to heaven. Jesus loves you. If you dress right at church, Jesus loves you. If you pray and read your Bible every day, Jesus loves you. And it bases your salvation on what you can accomplish. Not on what Jesus has already accomplished. And so Paul is using this illustration of a Roman contract. And Paul says this. Paul says, if you make a contract, 
and you have it signed. It's a legal binding document now. You can't then go and change the details of the contract and think it's still valid. And then he says this, you can't make one contract and then 430 years later make a second contract and think that the first contract is void because of the second contract. He's saying this, God made a promise to Abraham in grace. And then he comes 430 years later and gives the Mosaic law. But just because God gave us the the contract or the covenant of the law does not mean that the covenant of grace is void. If you really want to mature in Christ, you got to understand grace versus the law. If you really want to stop falling into the pitfalls of Satan, you have to get your arms wrapped around this gospel of grace. Paul is saying that God had a covenant with Abraham based on a promise before the law of Moses ever came. He says it in verse 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but into your seed, meaning one person who is the Christ. He's sitting here saying to us that there's nothing that we can add to this first contract to make it better. It's good all by itself. Are you with me, church? And then he says this in verse 17. What I mean is this. He explains himself. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and do away with the promise. And here he he really breaks it down. For if the inheritance, and the inheritance we speak of in this context is salvation. If it depends on the law, meaning what we do, then it no longer depends on the promise, meaning what God did. I'll break it down like this. He says, if the, if the promise of salvation, the inheritance of salvation depends on what we do, it no longer depends on what God did at Calvary. He's trying to explain to them, you can't have both. It, it, this is not Baskin Robbins. I want, I'll take a scoop of this one, a scoop of that one, and, a, and it's going to be good. No, you got to either take what God said or take what you're going to do. And Paul is teaching them that that you have to understand. Here's point number one, that grace is a complete gift. Grace is a complete gift. There is nothing you can add to grace or to God's work on Calvary that will make it better. Tell your neighbor, nothing. So you see, when I was a kid, my dad, he got me an Xbox one Christmas, and I was as happy as could be. But when I set up my Xbox, and I plugged in my HDMI wire, I did all that stuff. When I did it, I looked, and I had no game. I'm like, what? Dad, dad is there another game? Where's the game? Well, the game you wanted was out of stock. Wait, really? He said, I don't want to buy you a game that you wouldn't like, so we'll wait a couple of days. I'm like, who's this wee bunch? Like, we're going to wait a couple of days and buy your game. That's not really a complete gift because I really can't use it without a game. It's like those three satanic words on every kid's electronic Christmas gift. Batteries not included. I think Satan himself writes that on those boxes. Batteries not included. And what happens is, is that in the hustle and the bustle of Christmas planning and preparation and gift wrapping, we often forget the batteries. And now this little, little toy dial that dances or whatever, now your daughter or your son can't play with it because you forgot the batteries. 
You got to run out to, to, to 24 hours CVS to see if they had the batteries, but all the good parents already bought them and they're out of stock. And you go home empty handed, no batteries. Why? Because that's an incomplete gift. I'll give you one more example. It's like you go to a restaurant, a real restaurant, not American Steakhouse. That's not a real restaurant. Honestly, if you like that place, evaluate your life. I kid, I kid. But you know, I, I, went, I went over, I had a friend take me to a really, really over-the-top restaurant. One of those a la carte restaurants. And I can't even remember the name of it right now, but they took me, Morton's, that's right, he took me to Morton's. And this guy was, he's, a, he's an older gentleman, very well-to-do. He took me out to Morton's, and when I saw the menu, I almost gagged. But he was taking me and my wife, and he said the magic words to me. He said, order whatever you want. This is an anniversary <laughs> gift. I said, bless God, I'll take that steak right there. It's a $50 steak. He, he recommended it. He said, you got to try this one. It's the best ever. And when it came out, you know what I didn't ask for? I didn't ask for A1 steak sauce. Because I had enough sense to know that places like that don't have steak sauce. You, you, a real chef don't want you messing up their recipe with the fact that you have an accustomed taste bud to cheap sauces. Are you with me? Because the steak is complete by itself, coming from the kitchen. Grace is complete by itself. The work of the cross is complete by itself. It's got enough power in the cross to save us all. And it's not about what I do that can get me saved. It's not about my works that get me saved. It is about the work of Jesus that got me saved. But many religious mindsets want to focus on what we do and don't do in order to be saved. And Paul's like, no, this is a complete deal. It is all inclusive. Grace is a complete gift. There is nothing that you have to add for it. And what he's doing is he's stretching back into the Old Testament to show the really religious people that before God ever gave the law, he was given grace. That before God ever gave these 600 plus laws to people, that they were saved through grace and faith in him. This is how Enoch was saved. This is how Methuselah was saved. It was through grace in God. Read the Old Testament. And God is trying to show us this through the writings of Paul, that grace predates the time of the law. The law meaning this, God saying, do this so you can achieve. And so here were these people in Galatia, and they were saying, well, you can't eat swine. You can't eat pork. That's an unclean animal. You can't have shrimp. That's unclean. You can't have any shellfish. That's unclean. You can't, women, you have to have your hair in a bun because that's what the law says. You have to have your hair covered. You got to, men, you got to wear a hat. That's what the law says. You got to do this. You got to do that. And they would give all these laws. And, and Paul's like, no, we're not saved by those things. We're saved by what Jesus did. He completed. He fulfilled. He fulfilled it. Are you with me? He, it's It's done. And then he says in verse 17, again, 
He says the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. God promised Abraham that the Messiah would come through his lineage. The Jewish people were waiting for thousands of years for Jesus to come. They were waiting for forever for Jesus to come. And when he came, they didn't even recognize him. Because they were so caught up in the law. Caught up in what you had to do. But Paul makes it clear that God in his grace gave Abraham through a promise this inheritance. So Paul asserts that first because of the law came after the promise... The law comes after the promise that God made to Abraham for a savior to come through his seed. It doesn't do away with God's promise to Abraham. And this is what it says in Genesis 15, 6. Speaking about Abraham, and he believed in the Lord, believed the Lord rather, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And this may be of nothing to you as you read it, but when you think about what it's saying, it's saying this, that God made a promise to Abraham. Follow me here. Abraham receives in faith this promise that God gave him. Now, Abraham did not deserve the promise. He was not worthy of the promise. This, therefore, makes the promise based in, somebody say, grace. So Abraham believes through faith in the graceful promise of God, and thus God says this. He counted it to Abraham as righteousness. This word righteousness means he's in right standing with God, apart from his sinfulness, apart from the fact that he came from an idolatrous family, apart from the fact that his father was ungodly, and he himself was a liar and not always believing in the faith of God. Apart from all of that, the Bible says that God gave him salvation, righteousness, right standing with God based on his faith in the graceful promise of God it was not that he did something he just believed God this is grace for you and me God says this if you have faith in the promise of salvation that I accomplished through my son if you have faith in that you are saved and God gives us righteousness based on our faith in Jesus Christ And so so he's saying this, he's making it clear that the inheritance, meaning salvation, if it depends on the law, meaning if the inheritance depends upon me achieving my righteousness, if the inheritance comes by me achieving good works, by me earning my way into heaven, by me being a good enough person to get to God, if it's based on that, then God becomes a liar and the promise he gave to Abraham is nothing. But because God's not a liar... He's not set up like that. Because of this, we receive salvation the way Abraham did. Through our faith in the promise of God. Here's here's point number two. Grace and faith were always God's first plan. They were always God's first plan. They were always God's first plan. If we see it in the Old Testament, it's, we see it in the life of Enoch and Methuselah that I mentioned earlier. We see it in the life of Noah. The Bible says that Noah found favor. The word favor in the Hebrew is the word grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So the Old Testament is, is full of grace. This We don't have to accomplish to achieve and to receive this salvation. And, and Paul is making it clear. The grace given here that he speaks of is this promise to Abraham that God would do something great through Abraham. 
that God would bring a mighty nation through Abraham, although he was nearly 100 years old and had no children. His body, the Bible says, was as good as dead. He believed in faith, the promise of God, and God imputed unto him righteousness, meaning that God took all the, the righteousness of Jesus that was to come, and he imputed it onto the life of Abraham because Abraham chose to believe God. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying to you that you don't have to earn your salvation. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't give your way into heaven. You can't live your way into heaven except through believing in Jesus Christ and having faith in his finished work. You see, when you and me, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, God takes the righteousness of Jesus and he gives it to us as our own. Like I've shared with you many times before, it's like God takes everything in the account of Jesus and he puts it into your account even though you have a negative balance. And every time God looks at your account, he sees Jesus' balance. He sees what Jesus did. He doesn't see what you did. This is why God is so good and so merciful and so graceful. This is why the message of grace is so powerful because the fact that God did it and we don't deserve it makes it even greater. God's not going to help, God's not going to let you work for your salvation. That's the equivalent of letting somebody plan their own surprise party. Like, you're going to work for it, and then surprise, you got salvation. After all you did, like, like you didn't already figure it out that it was for me. No, God surprises us and says, I did everything for you. There's nothing that you could do. There's nothing. You can do to make this better. I have done it all for you. And grace was always God's first plan. You see, to Abraham, God made the promise that he would make him a great nation and that all the world would be blessed through him. And the promise that God makes to us in his grace is salvation. And he says, any who would believe in my son and the work of the cross and the finished work, any who believe in that you will, somebody say, be saved. You see, God never meant for you to earn your salvation. God never meant for you to think in your mind that you were good enough to get into heaven. It scares me when someone says, I'm a good person. It doesn't mean anything to God. That may sound mean, but no, that's God in his righteousness. Because God is so righteous and God is so holy that on our best day, our goodness is still dirty rags to God. But God, in his mercy, gives us Jesus. He gives us the work of Jesus on the cross. And so Jesus comes. He lives a perfect life for 33 years. He fulfills every law. He keeps the Sabbath. He doesn't eat anything bad. He does everything God instructed in the law. And he died on that cross for you and for me. A sacrifice for us. A sacrifice. And then God takes the sacrifice of Jesus... And puts it into our account. And this is a problem for many believers because there's a part of us that wants to earn ourselves. There's a part of us that we're so works-based. 
This is why you can see God using somebody who has a crazy life. Like, why does God use them? I'm so good. I do this. I do that. I do this. Why does God move when they do this? And it's, it's because you don't understand that you have a mindset like that of the son in the story of the prodigal son who was the good son. Well, I did this and I did that and you never gave me this and you never. Listen, you are stuck on your works and not on the grace of God. You're stuck on what you have done that gives you favor and promise. Well, I don't understand why God uses that person. You don't have to understand it. I I put it on Facebook a couple days ago. God likes broken vessels because he knows that broken vessels leak. And they pour out to other people. When you see that God can use that broken person, I know he can use me. So here I am. I'm back at the gas station story. And I'm sitting there with this guy as Muslim and this Jehovah's Witness and we're going back and forth. And somewhere within the conversation, I understood that the homeless man, or rather that the Muslim Josh was a homeless man. And I'm not sure if he mentioned food. I really don't remember exactly how it happened. I just don't remember. But he, he mentioned something about food and I, I dug into my pocket and I gave him all the money in my left pocket. Because I had just gone to the ATM from my right pocket. Gave him everything in my left pocket. It was something like four or five bucks, and he was asking about Chinese food. And I gave it to him, and he was like, oh, thank you. And then what he said next, I knew I had him at that point. You know what he said next? He said, let me earn it. If you earn it, it's not a gift. Well, let me earn it. And that's how many Christians are with salvation. God gives it to us freely. And then we set about, well, let me earn this. Let me try and do enough to make it worth God's while. As if this is a movie where when the credits go up, they're going to show your name and say, oh, Louis Burgos had a role in his own salvation there. Swept the church hallways for 17 years. Gave him 0.1%. Of his salvation, it's his own works. We all want credit in some form or fashion for the things we do. Who doesn't like a shout out? Praise God. Some of us are just like not really humble, we just pretend to be. We want people to know we did it. We want people to know our our works. But God, He's not concerned with what you can do for your salvation. Here's here's what Paul says in verse 20. I'll read verse 19 first. He says, why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgression unto the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. If someone doesn't know scripture, they might look at this and and, and think this is a Trinitarian type, anti-Trinitarian view that Paul is casting down. But you have to understand what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying this. There's a a teaching in the Jewish faith, Uh, Stephen alludes to it in Acts chapter 7, the book of James also alludes to it, that Moses was not given the law directly from God, but God gave it to an angel, and the angels gave it to Moses. That's what the Bible says. It's not recorded in Exodus, but it's recorded in Acts, James, and here in Galatians. And and, and God's saying this, he's like, listen, Paul's saying, God gave the, 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 the law to the angels then to Moses, then Moses gave it to the people. That's a lot of folks involved. So what he's saying is the law plus my actions 
plus me giving it back to Moses to be a mediator to God equals my salvation. Meaning what I do gets me into heaven. But he says, but God is one. He's referencing the promise of God. And he's saying this, that when God made the promise, he made it directly to Abraham. And, and you have to understand this. He makes the promise directly to Abraham and not no middleman in between. So the promise is directly reliant to be fulfilled by God and nobody else. You missed it. That's fine. First time I read it, I missed it too. What it's saying is this, is that your salvation is completely reliant on the promise of God and nothing of your own doing. It's completely reliant on the work that God already did, not the work you're going to do. It's completely reliant on the fact that God has already accomplished and achieved it, and you only have to believe. Point number three is this, is that the law is salvation for those who achieve, but grace is salvation for those who believe. He says God is one, meaning that only one person is in between you and your promise. It only leans on one person, and that is God himself. Because God made a promise to Abraham, and like he made it to Abraham, he makes it to us that any who would believe in the name of his son Jesus, that you would be saved. That's the promise right there. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say any who believe and then dress the way church people tell you to and then never eat pork again and then follow all the law. Then those people are saved. No, he said any who believe. Any who believe. We serve a whosoever God. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes he didn't say that the people who follow the law believe he didn't say the people who got it all right believe he didn't say the people who dressed the part because you could dress the part but be decrepit inside you can talk the talk but still be lost in your heart you could be so you could be so you know loud in church and, and praising God but still be lost in your heart because your salvation is based on your works. Salvation is based on your works. You can always tell someone who is basing salvation on works, you're the ones who are least likely to do anything in church. Because, because in their minds, I don't, you know, if I do that, you know, I, I've done enough. No. You've got to understand that God has saved you apart from anything you've done. Anything that you could possibly do would never add on to what God has done. It's a finished work. Pastor, what are you saying? I I'm trying to tell you that when Satan tries to come after you with condemnation, you can walk in the freedom of God's grace. I I'm trying to tell you that when, when, when the enemy comes after you with the lies, with the treacheries, with the deceptions of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the enemy. You don't have to buy into that because you've already been saved by grace. When I was a kid, true story, I told the first service, I was, went to a Lutheran school, raised in a Pentecostal church by formerly Catholic parents. I was all jacked up. 
when, when I was a kid, I, I was literally, I was taught that if I swore or did something wrong and died the next moment, I was going to hell. Immediately, just, well, he's lost. <laughs> That's the way they talk. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You got to repent. You're going to go straight to hell. But that's opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus didn't just die for the sins that I have committed, but the ones that I'm going to commit. You have to understand it. It's, 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 not, it's not based on what I do. It's based on what he did. You would say to yourself, well, what do I have to do, Pastor? Only believe. Keep on believing. If you're believing today, keep on believing. Strengthen yourself in the knowledge that although we serve God and we work in the kingdom and we work the field because God is gracious to us, we don't work the field because we have to achieve. We don't serve in church because we have to achieve. We serve because he's been so good to me. How can I not do something in return? How can I not? It's like when you invite somebody to your house or maybe you go to somebody's house to eat and they cook a really good meal and you're so appreciative, you can start getting up and helping them put the dishes away. That was good. I'm going to help you out. <laughs> the gift came first. The response came second. It doesn't mean you don't have to do anything in church. Does it mean you can just sit on your romper? No. What it means is that because he's done it, my response is gratefulness. My response is love. As the spirit of God lives in me, he'll bring me in right standing with God. He'll correct everything in my life that doesn't please God. The law will be written on my heart, Jeremiah 31, 33. The law of God is written on my heart and he will lead me and he will guide me through his spirit. So is why Paul says, walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the lust of the flesh. God wants to do a new work in you. And he wants to transform you. And all you have to do is believe and to walk the path he's marked out for you. Come on, stand with me. That you would believe. You would believe. And God begin a new work in you if you would believe your merit your goodness nothing to do with why you're saved everything to do with what Jesus did what a freeing thought it is to know that nothing I could do could make this any better Nothing, 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 nothing. The enemy comes to you and says, you're not good enough. Satan will tell you that you're not godly enough. God can't save you. That's a lie, you know how I know? He already did. And all you've got to do is receive what Jesus has already done. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that whosoever would believe. And here's the thing, is that many of us know that we are undeserving. Like, why would God send his son? Why, why would he do that for me? Some of us might think, well, I'm a good person. I can understand why. Oh, no. Read the scripture. We're sinful. We're lost. And without Christ, there was no hope. But because of Jesus and his great mercy, God has poured out his grace on us that all we would have to do is believe and we would be saved. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you would believe. I feel like there's some people here today, you've been trying to achieve your way into heaven. You've been letting the enemy beat you down because you haven't done enough. You're not good enough. And and that's the lies of Satan. Because the promise of God is any who would believe would be saved. The work belongs to Jesus. And it's already done. And if you're here today and you're struggling with that, there's freedom by the Spirit of God. Freedom in the grace of God. And still yet there's others under the sound of my voice who you've never made that commitment to Christ. Whether because maybe you've never been exposed to it. Maybe because you thought you weren't good enough. Maybe you never really made a a, a thought about making a commitment to Christ. But apart from Christ, my friend, we're destined for damnation. Because the scripture would say we were enemies of God. But today, grace is available for every single person if we would just believe that God in his mercy sent his son. So with every head bowed and and eyes closed, just reverencing God even now, if that's you, either one of those people, maybe you're just stuck trying to achieve or maybe you've never made a commitment to God. Maybe you've heard a different doctrine, a different religion. No, you don't have to earn anything because Jesus did it for you. He did not fail. He he succeeded. And he's sitting even right now at the right hand of God the Father interceding for every single one of us as Scripture would tell us. Come on, if that's you, you're lifting your hand as high as you can saying, Pastor, I I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. I want to make that commitment right now. Come on, there's hands going up everywhere. I want to make that commitment even now. Come on, I've been trying to achieve, work my way into this thing. Been trying to be good enough, always point to my goodness. It ain't going to work. It's only through Jesus. Father, I pray that you would break our pride even now. We would submit and surrender. Come on, lifting our hands if that's you. Lifting our hands if that's you. Letting God work. Letting God speak. Letting God talk to you. Lord, you see every individual here today. You know their heart, their condition, their lives. Father, we pray even now that you begin to touch them from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet. That God, we don't operate here in vain today. What your son has done for us has been good enough. And we're prepared to receive it now. 
the finished work of Jesus, the work of Christ. Come on, church, would you help them out today as they say this prayer with me? A simple prayer. Come on, say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe your Son, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins. I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that He is Lord. Father, I know the price of my sins have been paid. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Come on, the church says amen. According, according to what the scripture says, that if you just prayed that prayer, you become a part of the family of God. According to what the scripture says, that even when one soul is saved, all of heaven celebrates. Right now, God is celebrating over your commitment to him. Right now, God is celebrating over your belief in his son, Jesus. Come on, can we thank God even now? Can we lift our hands in adoration and praise if you're comfortable? Lord, we thank you. I dare you to lift your voices and just begin to thank him even now. I dare you even to praise him now. Father, we thank you, Lord. Come on, bless him right now. Father, we thank you. We accept it now. We're undeserving of your mercy and your grace. We give you the highest praise. We give you the highest praise, Lord God. That's right, that's right. Come on, just praise him right where you are. Come on, he's done immeasurably more than you are ever, ever worthy of. Give him praise for the work he's done in your life. Give him praise for his grace even now. We thank